0: It's access all areas in this debut episode, Player to Player, with me, Stephen Caldwell, and my former teammate, Justin Morrow. He shares 60 minutes of his candid insights on the demanding and colourful journey to the top of the MLS. Hello everyone, my name is Stephen Caldwell and this is the first episode of a new podcast I'm going to be doing in conversation with Caldwell. This is going to be a series of discussions with players that I have uh, played with, played against, that maybe I know or I don't know around the world of football and to uh, hear their insights and their stories and how they got to where they are. And for the first episode, I am delighted to have on my friend and former teammate and current TFC defender, Justin Morrow. How are you, Justin? Hey, Stevie. How are you doing, pal? I'm good, mate. How are you? How are you feeling? How are you keeping fit in this uh, this current, obviously, crisis with the COVID-19 virus?
1: Oh, oh man, it's crazy. I mean, um, just a week ago, we were in the locker room together as a team, and it was the morning after the NBA stuff all came to a head the Rudy Gobert stuff and they they canceled the games that night um so we knew nothing was going to happen we're in the locker room and nobody was getting dressed we're waiting to hear from the MLS and obviously they shut everything down and we all go home that was a week ago and it feels like a month has passed these days have been been long and I know that we have even longer ahead of us but we'll all get through it together
0: We we do our part and we'll do it Yeah I think that's one of the positives the, the community feel how everybody is coming together because there's so much uncertainty for me it's I agree with you every day it seems like it's a week and it's taking so long and for us to be missing the thing that we love which is football is, is one thing but you know this is a, a global fight here and we just have to keep the bigger picture in mind and uh, not that this conversation is going to be about that so much but everyone you know just stay safe and and wash your hands and go through all the protocols that everyone says, and we think we'll be fine. So let's get off and running here. I think we start yeah, off with uh, Mr. Justin Morrow, born in Cleveland. While we Ohio. start off, do you mind if I crack one of these oh, open? crack a beer. I didn't even know you, knew you were going to have a beer. I yeah, man, it's been
1: a long time since I had a beer with you, and it's been a long I week, so I'm going to crack one open and, and have one as we go through.
0: Well, our producer, Kev, has got a nice big beer in front of him. I think I'm the only one without the beer, so <laughs> that, that's a first probably me without a yeah, beer. Yeah, that's not Anyone like it, <laughs> looks, <laughs> looks nice, that beer. I'm going to be, I'm gonna be Cheers, salivating mate. here while I watch you drink that. Uh, yeah, so, October 4th, 1987, Cleveland, Ohio, just tomorrow was born. Give us a little bit of insight to your early family life, please, and tell us what it was like uh, growing up in Ohio.
1: Yeah, I grew up in a in a working class family. My my father was a police officer, and when I was really young, he worked a night shift. My parents had me when they were really young. They had me when they were seniors in college, and they had no idea what the hell was going on. They were Like, shit, we're having a kid. <laughs> we're twenty. We're twenty one years old. My dad doesn't have a job. My mom doesn't have a job. Um, they're from completely different backgrounds. My mom's white. She's from Long Island. My dad's from Ohio, he's African American. Um, so late 80s, there was still a lot of racism going on. And that was a very taboo subject to have a a mixed baby. And and so they went for it. My dad got a job as a policeman right away. My mom uh, went back to school to get a, a master's degree. And my dad was working night shifts and my mom was taking care of me during the day. Um, and that kind of just set the tone for how I was raised. You know, I I was raised in just a really hardworking family, um, a family that is very honest and ideals are very important to them. Uh, we have a very good sense of morality. They put a high emphasis on my education and, and that's just how I grew up. My mom, uh, a teacher to this day, my dad's retired now, but my mom's still teaching um and she never misses a day of work <laughs> she's got like a whole year of sick sick days built up if she wanted to take but she never takes them and that's just you know that mentality that type of just embedded itself in me and yeah. in every single way and i take that into so being a parent now being a dad now and obviously the way i play and the way i go about my work
0: yeah i think about uh i'm a parent myself as you know with, with two boys and <laughs> You know, it's the way you've been brought up that that sort of determines how much you're going to parent and and, and the little things that you used to maybe hammer your mom or dad for. You you start picking up and you realize how important they were, you know, when you you were younger. Um, Any brothers and sisters? Yeah, I have a little sister. She's five years younger than me,
1: so she's uh, 27 right now. Um, She's doing great, she's at Ohio State. She's uh, taking a, a master's in fine arts. Going to be working on poetry. Uh, she's always, she's already a great poet and a great writer. She's writing for a long time. and Just a really smart girl and uh, very different path than me. But we've gone, we've grown a lot closer since we've grown up. Um, when I was a kid, I was always focused on soccer. I'd, I didn't want to do anything else but play soccer, and my sister would always be tagging along. Um, so we weren't that close when we were younger, but now we're
0: getting a lot closer. Excellent. And you mentioned you were a kid who was focused on soccer. Was it other sports or were you just determined and and had the talent for the, the game of football from an early age? Or, you know, tell us a bit about what other sports you played as well. Yeah, my par- my parents, mostly my mom, because as I mentioned,
1: my dad was working nights nice a lot. So he'd be uh, sleeping late into the morning. Um uh, she just wanted to get me into an activity when I was young to get the energy out, you know? So years <laughs> A old, hyperactive I was kid, weren't you? Um, yeah, yeah, I was all over the place, playing my parents, you know? And so she's like, I can get this little shit out of the house. Um, <laughs> put, put me, put me in some activities. Soccer was the first one. So that stuck all throughout. In the meantime, as I was growing up, I started playing everything. I wanted to play hockey. I'm a great skater. I right. skated when I was growing up from from seven years on. I skated, but it was too expensive because the equipment, there's so much equipment you need to play hockey. Yeah. So my mom was like, yeah, you're not doing that.
0: <laughs> and
1: I played basketball on the street with my friends, played touch football on the street with my friends. And um, soccer was always the one that just stuck. I was very good at it from a young age. And I enjoyed playing. I would go out into the yard. I didn't play by myself, which is so different with the kids now today. Yeah. Everything's so organized these days. I, th- I talk about that with some of my teammates now. How when we were kids, we would just go out in the yard and kick it about, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like your friends or, or whatever. But now everything's organized. Like, I'm dealing with my daughter now, who's who four, and I'm just getting ready to put her into sports. Because everything's so organized. But, yeah, I was, I was playing all different
0: sports in it. Yeah, you just find a space back then, didn't you? Your mum and dad just kicked you out of the house and said, go you know, find a park or a pavement or a road somewhere. Yeah. And you just played for hours, didn't you, with your, your friends? Or I, I was lucky enough, I had a brother that was close in age to me. But I think these days it, it has to be structured. And it's it's very much detrimental towards the kids. You know, even my two who are, you know, a year apart from each other, they don't want to play with each other. They want... They want an adult there all the time. They want structure. They want this, <laughs> you know, this this collaboration. Yeah. I'm like, go play with each other. This is where you learn. You practice things, but yeah, interested. They need me involved in every minute.
1: It's true. When I when I was that age, you know, my big thing was the streetlights. Like mom, that's when I had to be home, and it was a different time where you could just send the kids out of the house and and me at a younger age, I didn't know about them that much. Um, maybe not a little bit but yeah all all afternoon after school playing with I didn't have organized practice just out the park kicking the ball, and playing with each other sometimes for hours you know I think it's just different these days.
0: Yeah and, and so the organized soccer in Cleveland what was that like I, I'm always fascinated to hear the, the insight of different people especially people from across the water from where I grew up in terms of what the kind of structure was like there and and you know how you kind of what was that pathway were you clear on how you moved up the levels or was it was it a little bit all over the place
1: yeah it was pretty clear um I think right around 10 years old I started playing travel soccer so I lived I lived in a city called Shaker Heights which was Uh, well technically we lived in in Cleveland city limits because my dad was a Cleveland police officer so we'd always live right on the border and so I was on the border in Shaker Heights is on the east side and we started playing travel soccer which means that my mom would take me like Saturday mornings to the west side of the city and play a team from the city on the west side or maybe from the south side something like that and that was kind of serious that was a step up from you know just playing in your in your local neighborhood and then after that probably 11 and 12 years old i got into club soccer which was the biggest thing going at that time i know it's different with the academies now but club soccer was the highest level for 11 and 12 year olds at that age and there was probably about i would say 10 different clubs in northeast ohio and there was um a pretty clear structure of which ones were the best ones um, and I played for one of the best ones, not the best one at the time. Um, we were always competitive in the area uh, and eventually made my way to the best team.
0: Yeah, and, and so was was soccer a, a bit of a hotbed in Ohio or was that an area where, you know, the other sports were king? I know most of, of the U.S. is is dominated by another sport, but I, I'm thinking in, in your era was soccer – very popular in Ohio, and was there a lot of talent coming out of that, that area?
1: It was popular up until a certain age. I feel like right around high school, uh, in sophomore school, ninth, 10th grade of high school, and then after that it dropped off a lot. There In the Midwest, it, uh, Midwest and Midwest is all about football and basketball, and baseball, which is, in my opinion, dwindling a little bit, but it was, it was, you know, my high school I went to was a massive football high school, I won over 10 state championships. The big thing for us uh, and high school on a Friday night was to go to the football game and there'd be 17,000 people there. Wow. And so that's what I'm, I'm just like typical Midwest boy, you know, that's, that's how it is there. Um, so soccer was a little bit on the fringes, but that's not to say that we didn't, we didn't have good talented and out a lot of talent.
0: Yeah, I can't imagine that. I can't imagine seventeen thousand at a high school game, <laughs> even in the UK where soccer's king, football's king. I can't imagine so many people watching a a high co- a high school uh, sporting event. Um, when when it came to picking schools, and we'll get to the school that you picked, you know, uh, Notre Dame as I call it. I think you call it Notre Dame. <laughs> what do you call it in the U.S.? Notre Dame? <laughs> yeah. Notre Dame, that's right. Oh, a prestigious school, as everyone knows, uh, academically and, and sporting-wise. And I think football, American football, as I would call it, is the, the, the big sport there. But why yeah. did you choose Notre Dame? And, uh, and was there other schools? And was it an a, um, educational reason? Or was it, was it a soccer reason?
1: Yeah, I um I went to like a big Catholic prep school in Cleveland. Uh, it was so if you're going there, it's like a filter school to all these these big schools. I know there's many of them here in Toronto, but I had the whole like I wore a tie every day to school, nice. blazers on on a Friday, um, and so when you get into a school like that, they push hard to get you into these top schools. And for me, it was a thing that I knew that if I wanted to be successful at the professional level in soccer, I knew that I was going to get a college that was going to prepare me for that. And if it wasn't going to work out for me, I still wanted to have a good education, and, and Notre Dame really fit the bill in that sense. Um, apart from myself, there was 16 other guys in my class that got into Notre Dame, including two two American football players and then um, maybe one other sport and the rest were students. And so it was like a, it was almost, it wasn't a normal thing. It was still a prestigious thing to go from my high school to Notre Dame, but it was something that as a Catholic school in Cleveland that has this college preparatory name, that's what they push for.
0: Fantastic. And that's something that I'm very envious of. I missed, uh, obviously, university-college pathway. So oh. tell me a little bit of what what college life, student life is like when you're, a, you're an <laughs> athlete and you're playing a sport. Is it Do you get to go to the parties? Do you yeah. join the... Back um, well, so the... exactly to what you
1: were saying a little bit, how I ended up at Notre Dame, I knew I wanted to get out of Ohio because Akron had a really good program at the time. Um and Lola was recruiting me a little bit. Um, this was right before Caleb took over and they had been doing really well and I just wanted to get out of Ohio. I really wanted to you know, get a little bit further and a part of that, as you're mentioning, going to college for the first time is having that freedom. <laughs> when I yeah. went to Notre Dame, I never wanted to come back home. You could ask my parents. I stayed um, all three summers. Uh, so I could graduate early <laughs> I just never <laughs> wanted to come home just having that taste of freedom for the first time you know in my high, in, in high school for me um, because I went to such a demanding high school everything was so structured like it was school then come home study practice study eat bed maybe go out on the weekend sometimes Um so another game at university having that you know that freedom to do whatever I want. I just remember my freshman year being so happy. I was just out, uh, and at Notre Dame, ironically, the the, the men's soccer team had um, a dry season, so we would we all agreed that we wouldn't drink during the season, which was crazy. What for- you played? <laughs> like
0: a mod decision,
1: <laughs> <laughs> which was fine for me. I didn't care. I just like you know hanging out with my friends in the dorms on a Tuesday night and being together. Like wow, I'm doing something on a Tuesday night. It's amazing. <laughs> You know that that shows that Notre Dame is pretty. It's not a, a big party school. You know the parties are pretty tame there, but we had our our share of fun in the springtime, that's
0: for sure. Yeah, and you mentioned not wanting to go home there, but you didn't go home. You we went to uh, California to San Jose, 28th mm-hmm. pick in the the 2010 MLS Super Draft. Tell us a little bit that experience. It's so funny was... Because it's so ironic because I really wanted to go to Santa Clara, right? out of high school.
1: I was dying to go to Santa Clara because it's a Jesuit school and I went to a Jesuit high school and I wanted the California dream. i like, oh, I want to get out to Santa Clara. And I remember emailing the coach as a high school student being like, I want to come. Can you have me for a visit? Nothing. Blank me. <laughs> so, at Notre Dame, um, I think it was my junior year, we played them in the NCAA tournament. We beat them at Santa Clara. So were up for like <laughs> <didn't you>? Yeah. <laughs> That was that was the first time I really stuck it to him. I'm like, yeah, now you know who I am. Man. But then I got drafted to San Jose, whose locker room, all their facilities were on Santa Clara's university campus. <laughs> 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 so I would be around and I would see the coach all the time and I would make sure I said hi to him. Big mistake. You're like Julia you know, Roberts sure and Pretty women. Yeah. Big
0: mistake. Huge. <laughs> <laughs> you remember me now, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Was there other teams? Was it always San Jose? Or how how does it work? You know, yeah, hey, so I, I someone played someone that's unique to me.
1: I played um, uh, PDL soccer all throughout college in the summertime. Uh, it was a way to stay fit in the summertime, a way to get better, play with players from different regions. My junior year going into my senior year, I played for Chicago's team, Chicago Fire. We had a really good team. We had um so many prospects on that team and guys that have turned professional, been pros for a long time. Seth Sinovic, Tim Reem, um, Andre Akpan was a was a pro on that that team, Jimmy Maurer. Um, so we just had a really good group and so when I was coming out of college, Chicago wanted to draft me. Um, but San Jose got to me you know, I think like two picks before Chicago was up. So uh
0: that didn't happen, I ended up out in San Jose. Yeah, I just I I I can't imagine the uh the uncertainty around where you're gonna go. I, I I guess it's just something that you grew up with here in North America, but it's it's so strange for me to think that you know you're you're watching that draft live, and you maybe have some idea of when you're going to get picked and where you're going to go. But up until yeah. that moment where the commissioner says your name, you actually don't yeah. know what city you're going to live in, what part of the country you're going to be in for yeah. the foreseeable future. It's crazy. Yeah, uh, uh, I
1: think maybe like the top three picks know because they have some interviews. Like we had, we had the combine. Like they had an NFL combine, a soccer combine. And you do interviews with teams. I remember Salt Lake called me um, the night before the draft and was like, "Oh, are, are you interested? if you like to play?" And I'm coming out of college, I'm like, "Yes, anywhere <laughs> picks me as I where I want to play." No, I. Um, they ended up picking Colin Warner instead of me. Oh um, wow, <laughs> he was a the teammate fantastic. of yours at one point, <laughs> wasn't he? <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> This is not a bad pick. He's a great guy, good player, <laughs> great guy. Um, but it just goes to show that like nobody knows what, what's really going on except for maybe the top three picks. And I'll give you another story. I went to knock with my dad because it was in Philadelphia. It was, it was a great time to share with my dad, a good uh, father-son moment. But Zach Cholowski thanked the wrong team. He got picked, and I'll never forget saying, "You don't know it's." The weekend is going so fast. I think he got picked maybe, you know, sixth or seventh, and he thanked the wrong team because he was thinking – he was going into it thinking that he was going to get picked by one team, and he thanked the wrong team. He's (laughs) up at the podium, the lights shining. There's probably like five of us in the stands, and he thanked the wrong team. So that just doesn't show. We
0: really – I have no idea what's going to happen on that day. He blew his big moment. Maybe I would have been questioning my yeah. selection if I was his team, maybe crumbling a bit under pressure there. <laughs> as he's selected. You didn't
1: uh, know that. You were going to walk into that locker room and get crushed right oh,
0: away. Well, I remember uh, when Toronto FC uh, selected Nick Highland, a very good friend of ours and yeah. a brilliant guy, now at FC Cincinnati. And uh, and Nick gave his interview saying, oh, I'm just going to be marking Jermaine Defoe. Do you remember yeah, that interview?
1: <laughs> I do remember
0: that. And we slagged him for at least six months, yeah. didn't we? Yeah, oh, that's you our job. That's our Jermaine job. You've
1: got to keep the young guys on their
0: toes. We must have got some stick for that, getting the team. Yeah. Running. Yeah, so you're in San Jose. You're, your first year, you get there. I think as a rookie, you're probably expecting that year to be tough, but how tough was it? Was it uh, was a level considerable to what you had been at? Or um, what was your thoughts on, on when you first got there?
1: Yeah, it was it was really tough. Um, the uncertainty of it all, because you get drafted, you don't have the contract yet. You still have to go into training camp. And uh, it was a little bit easier back then because there was more roster spots available than there are now. The Teams now have so many international players. Um, if you get drafted a good team they're not going to turn over their roster as much so I just got drafted into a really good situation where I performed well in training camp and I got a contract but it was like semi guaranteed contract so yeah. up until July they could still cut you so I remember just being nervous all the time yeah and talent wise I, I knew I had it but I was just inexperienced to the other guys and I was really nervous player as a young player coming into MLS and I didn't believe in myself as much as I should have. Um, so it took me a couple of years to get established, but I had really good guys in front of me, you know, um, Bobby Comby, uh, a really good player yeah. was in front of me, Ramiro Corrales, MLS legend. I learned so much from this guy. He played in front of me for the first two years that I was there. It was a mixture of those two. Yeah. And I remember thinking, at I-, I don't do this anymore. Like I have a good education. I graduated another day maybe I'll just, you know, Pack a bag and get this over with, but um, I stuck with it. And at the end of my second year, I, I got a good run of play and, and did pretty well with it. And by the third year, I was a starter.
0: Yeah, there was a few loan spells in your your first year, first couple of years, even where I think you went to Tampa a couple of times, didn't you? Did you go anywhere else? Yeah. Was it was that difficult to again go to the other side of the country? You know, thousands of miles away from where you expected to be setting up home. I, I think psychologically. I'm sure the listeners want to know what that's like and how you have to stay focused and mentally um, solid to, to get through that period and to excel in it. Yeah, very tough. Like I said, I was on a semi-guaranteed contracts, so coming in
1: every day, I felt like I had to prove myself. And so uh, I think at the point in time of my, my rookie year, it may have been... Um, in july or august so i had passed that date where i knew i was going to be there for the whole year and i just come into the training room one day and and our our coach frank um comes up to me you know i think you have, I have a good opportunity to send you to tampa you can be there for a month and you're going to get four games because i wasn't playing any games at that point he's like you know i really like you you're developing well but i want you to get some games so you're going to go there and you're going to get four games in a month and so those four games were my first professional games I hadn't played at the professional level until I played in those games. And so for me, I wouldn't change that experience because it was a nice little intermediate between college and major league soccer, where I got, You know, I played 90 minutes for four games, and it was a tough environment, tougher than college, playing with professional guys who relied on those paychecks to pay, you know, put food on plates for their family. And that's, you know, those guys come in with a different attitude, and you're just not used to that in college. Um, So it was a good little in-between for me.
0: Yeah, I I was the same. I was at Newcastle, and uh, it was obviously extremely tough to break through, and I got... Asked to go on loan to to Blackpool, where Steve McMahon, the the ex Liverpool central midfield player, was was the boss, and uh, it was a great situation where I could play some games at New uh, trains some days, sorry, at Newcastle the early part of the week, and then go to uh, to Blackpool for the yeah. Thursday, Friday, and then play on the Saturday. And I can remember sitting there after my first game, just thinking, I'm actually a professional now. You know, I've played in a a pro game, even though it was League One, it was at Blackpool at the time. It was the pride that I felt in actually just being a professional and and being in a changing room with, with guys that was like it was the livelihood. It wasn't a bunch of young young pros in the reserves who were trying to, to break through. It was like it was guys who were hardened who had played a couple of hundred games throughout different leagues and stuff. And um, and I love that experience as well. So I can I can see what you're saying there with that one. The one thing I'll say that's that's strange about it is
1: that you go on a loan and you're expected to play and everybody kind of knows what the deal is. So the players that are already there know like, oh, this guy's going to come in and play. And that's a weird dynamic. Mm -hmm. Um, So my mindset was like, okay, I need to prove to these guys that I'm a good player right away. I'm going to be humble. I'm going to put my head down and work because I'm just coming into their environment and I'm sent here to play, like, the game, you know, maybe I got there on a Wednesday, the game was on a Saturday, there was no earning my spot for you, I was going to play no matter what, so, like, very um, touch and go with the way your attitude, you have to have a good attitude when you go into those things.
0: Yeah, and I was was the same, but I enjoyed that feeling, you know, like, going somewhere and actually being... You know, having to, to show that you were a bit of a player for once rather yeah. than, you know, trying to break through. And, and my last game there, so I was there for one month. And in my last game, Steve McMahon loved me. He was asking me to stay for longer. But I wanted to prove that I was, you know, capable of championship or Premier League. So, you know, I yeah. felt like I'd showed that at League One. And he made me captain in my last game. And <laughs> I was there for a month on loan. And i will oh never. God. I'm 20 years old, 19, 20 years old, <laughs> and I'll never forget the feeling. Uh, I'm handing me the captain's armband at you know 1:45 p.m. before the 3 p.m. kickoff, and the guys just looking at me like, "What yeah. the fuck is going on here?" Like, <laughs> it was exactly. it was weird. I was proud, but I was like embarrassed at the same yeah. time, you know, because the guys are thinking I was, thinking I was just like, his, 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 "Yeah, it was weird," but yeah, these, these experiences what make us. Back to San Jose, 2012 season, your big season in MLS. Uh, you were in the All-Star game that year, I believe. Yeah. You, you played 33 regular season games. That was your breakthrough at that level. Did someone click in the loan spells, or was it just you getting your feet warm and starting to feel comfortable in San Jose? What What do you think changed that made you that regular and showed you you were capable of playing many years at that level?
1: Yeah, I, I at the end of my second year, like I said, I got a good run of like nine, maybe even 10 games that's consecutive at the end of the year. And I did really well. And that was kind of the point where it clicked for me. Where I was like, okay, I can do this. And so I worked my ass off during that off season and I came back in with the mentality that I wanted to be a starter. And from the most I got there that, you know, January, February, whatever it was back then, I think the coaches respected me a little bit more, knowing that I had proved to them that past season that I could be the guy. And they gave me, you know, fair enough to them, they gave me that chance because Ramiro was still there. I think he was um 33 at the time. And um, they could have just trotted, trotted him back out there, but they, you know, they put their faith in me and they said, you know what, I'm going to go with my young gun here. And, and they gave me a chance and I I proved them right.
0: Yeah, um, so I'll get on maybe a year or so now, and to the point where you join me in Toronto, we became teammates, yeah. and um, and I can't, for the life of me, fathom why San Jose traded you because when I got to MLS in twenty thirteen, guys like you who were were capable, were were, were nationals, were. Were, uh, were were solid MLS guys. They they just did not get traded. They did not. They didn't come up. There wasn't the opportunity for clubs to pick up guys like that. And and in 2014, we were making a bit of a stir with some of the bigger signings. To acquire a player like you was absolutely massive for me. And please tell me the story because yeah. I can't believe they let you go. I can't believe they traded you. So in, 20, in 2012, we had
1: an amazing year that everybody knows about. Um, uh, we won supporter shield. We did it in incredible fashion. We we played in games where we would come back towards the end. So it was a big buzz around our team. We were an exciting team. We lost to uh, um the galaxy in the second round of the playoffs. That was, you know, I think Beckham's last year, if I'm right. Maybe the year after was his last year. Um and so the team which was maybe a little bit more of a veteran team at that point had a not much of a transition going into 2013 and we kind of felt like things were going to pick off right where we left left off pick up right where they left off and that didn't happen we had a you know an average start to the season and then really took a big tailspin um into the middle part of the season and so they in the middle of the season they brought in Jordan Stewart to To play left back and played 20 games in in 2013, and our coach got fired in the, in the summer. Uh, this was the coach that you know had brought me there and put his faith in me. Uh, the assistant coach Mark Watson took over, and they went in a different direction. And in 2013, I was the only one. A lot of guys after that left that team, um, and so. I, as a professional, as a human being, I always look inward and it's easy. I think the easy way out is to start putting blame on other people and, and pointing fingers and saying, oh, no, my coach got fired. You know, this guy doesn't believe in me. Um, they made the wrong decision or whatever. But I put the, I put the blame on myself and say that I didn't, I didn't keep my foot down in that moment. And being a young professional, it was something that um, needed to happen to me. Um, so I could learn that and, and bring that attitude when I came to Toronto that I never wanted to take my foot off the gas, no matter how successful I'd been. And um, it's something – it's it's a life lesson that still sticks with me today. Like, when you're at your highest level, you have to push harder because this game, this sport, nobody cares what you did yesterday. Yeah. They only care about what you're going to do tomorrow.
0: So it felt like an exciting new start. It was a chance for you to go and prove yourself somewhere else, or was there trepidation there and anxiety? Well, it was very, I was very anxious. First of all, they traded me the
1: the day before my wedding.
0: <laughs> Gosh, talk about timing <laughs> Yeah. They don't care. I These guys don't care about the days <laughs> when you're traded. That doesn't come yeah. out of it.
1: <laughs> December 13th my wedding was on December 14th and I just got an email from uh, yeah I need you to call me immediately and as soon as I seen the email I knew what was happening um, so I didn't sleep one ounce of the night before my wedding I remember all my wedding pictures I had, I had droopy eyes I was so exhausted <laughs> thinking about it and going to Toronto a miserable year in 2013 and until then, they have been known as, you know, a team where players just filter in and out. Every six months, players filter in and out, coaches filter in and out. about it. But then after I traded, they announced Michael Bradley, they announced, announced Jermaine Defoe. Um,
0: and so I knew that something big was happening, and I was just happy to so be a part of felt- you felt the excitement, uh, the, the, the bloody big deal, and the uh, the promise of what was to come? Yeah. Or, were you, or were you thinking of the Danny Coverman's self-proclaimed the worst team in the world? What, or were you unsure? <laughs> was it somewhere in the middle? What do you, you think of Toronto? Were you, were you remember, happy to be it, joining it, that it, club? I remember
1: being in San Jose during the offseason, and I'm walking onto the pitch, and Dan Gargan is telling me, oh, Toronto, she's going to announce the signing of Michael Bradley today. And my jaw just dropped. I was like, what? Yeah. Michael Bradley, where in the hell did they pull that out of? <laughs> uh, sure enough, you know, by the time I walked off the field, the news was out. And so um, Tim Lewicki, uh does big things. Uh, I was introduced to him after that. And knowing that he was a part of the project, I knew that the team was, was headed in a good direction.
0: Yeah. And the first year, we were... Um... We were we were solid and we were uh, we were definitely progressing in the right direction, but we were we were still a bit off. And I think you can speak to this better than me because maybe there's a common denominator here. But somewhere in between, I retired and this team really got hot. So <laughs> give us give us a bit into the insight of what that was like when you started to feel okay. It's more than just momentum. There's going to be actual trophy success at some point here.
1: Yeah, I feel like that 2014 was still a transition because we were better than 2013, for sure. And we were on the right track. But at that point, it was about getting the right people on the bus. And you don't really understand who are the right people. It doesn't take – you can't do that in a month. You can't do it in two months. It takes six months. It takes a whole season to find out, you know, who's in it. Who's going to be with you when things are going bad? Who's going to bolster the team? Who are going to be the guys that bring you up? And I think that year, maybe we didn't have enough of those guys. Um, So you saw a little bit more of roster transition between uh, 2014 and 2015. And then maybe a little bit after that, each year it stayed a little bit more consistent.
0: So when the story of Toronto FC gets written and uh, the the recent success, maybe with future success, is talked about, is is Javinko that? True catalyst, or is it a a, a culmination of different players, Josie and Michael and Jovinko and everyone who came before? what do you think was it was it fifteen that really started it off or was it or was it sixteen? I think it was fifteen um,
1: yeah. there was a big amount of guys that got transferred in that year that ended up sticking around for a long time um, since i've been in Toronto Michael. Uh, Oso and I are the only ones that are there from 2014 well everyone uh, there's a couple guys that have been from 2015 on you know yeah. Al- Alex Bono, Marky Delgado, Eric Zavaleta, Josie these are 2015 guys so that's what I'm saying like after that year, yeah there was a, there was a little bit more guys that stuck and oh, Jay, Chapman, Jay Chapman you know transferred to Miami this year but he had he had been there for a long time. So, yeah, that continuity of getting guys in that
0: um, really helped the team going forward. Yeah, so 16 ended in, in bitter disappointment for the team and obviously personal disappointment for you. We're missing that penalty kick. In the aftermath of that that moment, where were you? Where was your head? Was it just full steam ahead into next season or or did it take you a while to get over that? No, it was full
1: steam ahead into 2017. That, I had the best year up until that day of my, my career. I was playing with some incredible people that helped me get to a new level that I always knew that I wanted to reach, that I hadn't reached yet. So I'm a very optimistic, positive guy even in the darkest of times. And, you know, sports are sports. These things happen. I had never taken a professional penalty kick before. That was my first penalty kick ever. Um so to get too much down on myself. I didn't feel that that negativity there. And I knew that we were gonna have an A seventeen that could do even better than we did in twenty sixteen.
0: And seventeen was just was just remarkable the the sort of uh consistency of you guys, obviously the level was high, but the consistency was we had never seen before in MLS and you guys set a new yardstick of what it meant to to attack a regular season and then, you know, even though there was moments in the playoffs where it was a little bit less swashbuckling football and more about winning the matches, it, it resulted in that MLS Cup win and, and probably the greatest regular season uh, at that time for sure and, and, and someone that set a yardstick, like I said, for the rest of the t- teams coming forward. How was that season? Was it was it as great to play in as it looked to watch? It just seemed like you guys were just so together and, and, and so focused on the common goal. Yeah, I think for me,
1: I think of the comparisons between um, 2012 team and the 2017, both teams that I was on that one supporter shield, is the depth of the team. And being on a team – that has so many good players you don't forget that and um Oso and I were talking about this just this preseason when we were out in California the practices that we used to have in 2017 the second team was so good we'd be <laughs> out there we'd be out there with the first team against the second team you know doing tactics for a big match coming up and the second team would be absolutely giving it to us i mean you got You had Benoit Sheru, you had Armando Cooper. You had these guys that are so good on the ball. And we would be in training trying to get the ball. We couldn't get the ball off of these guys, (laughs) you know? And so um, it was the same thing in 2012. We had so many wingers on that team that, um, you know, guys just came up with big moments. One of the things I think about, uh, I was gone for Gold Cup and Canada Cup is still going The Canadian Championship. And I'm so mad that I missed this game, the game against Montreal, the second leg, the final, um, Raheem slips the ball over to Seba, and Seba scores late in the game to, to get it for us. And, like, Raheem stepping up. He, I mean, Raheem had other big moments during that yeah. year. But that's a big moment, man. Like, that one us you know, we were talk about the trouble that year. We wouldn't have trouble without moments like that. And so there are so many um, good players on that team. And that that's the thing that I think to you the most.
0: Yeah, that, that that game is one that sticks in my mind because it was it was a tough one for Toronto FC and you're playing against your rivals in the impact who who were an excellent side. The rivalry was probably at its highest point within that period after yeah. what happened the season before in the, the MLS Cup playoffs. And for Seba to get that goal when when really I don't know if hundred percent TFC deserved it, but it was, again, the grit, the determination yeah. for someone to come up with a big moment to find a way that I think uh, really epitomised you guys that year. Uh, and you, you got everything that you deserved. The next season started so well, not so much for you. I think you got injured in the, the Champions League run and it was a, a, pretty, yeah. a pretty long injury, a serious injury. and yeah. um, I, I'm sure that was tough for you. Um to A, get over that injury, and then to to see the way that that season developed? Yeah, it was my first injury, and the, the
1: hard thing to swallow was that it didn't have to be a long-term injury. Um, so I did it before the Tigres game, the day yeah. before the Tigris game. We're, you know, going through our paces. It's not too heavy of a warm-up, it's the day before a game, and I feel just a little click in my calf. And by the end of practice, it was tightening up on me pretty bad. And so I knew I had done something, but I'm like, ah, I can get through it. I can get through it. And I only managed the first 10, 15 minutes in that game before I knew that there was no going on. Um, But it was a muscle injury. It was a muscle injury. So I'm I'm thinking, all right, you know, I've never had muscle injuries before. I've had muscle injuries before, but it's never kept me out more than two weeks, let's say. So I'm like, two weeks, I'll be back at it and this thing just stuck with me man every time I would go to run it would just tighten up on me again and I had never done my calf before and I would just say to anyone calves are so delicate you feel everything yeah you can speak to this too. <laughs> I know that's funny, yeah. every single step you take there's impact so I'm I re-injured myself every time I would go out there and I'd be feeling good and I'd be trotting along like all right I'm gonna go a little bit faster now I'm gonna start opening it up boom start tying up on me again so um it was kind of just a reoccurring injury that you know kept me out for ended up being months when it really should have um just given it more time and i mean it's difficult then because you're playing in champions league the team's on a historic run and i just wanted to be out there i just wanted to be out there with my with my guys and fight and battle with them so um but there was a lot of us that were hurting that year
0: yeah you, you you push yourself this is how we go through life basically. You you want to be out there, you want to push yourself to be fit and, and you you tread that fine line because how many times do you play with a slight calf or groin or something and you get away with it. So when I think back to like some of yeah. my most embarrassing moments on a football field are, are breaking <laughs> down because I thought I could play, you know, yeah. and, I, and I end up like rupturing something. I've done it so many times, JMO. I, I did, yeah. My last moment was my calf at, at Columbus where where I felt I could get through it and I went out in the second half and I just tore it in a few places I did it once at Burnley with my uh, my adductor and uh, it's, it's so frustrating but you're like you're always on that line where you, you're trying yeah. to push it and you want you want it so bad you want to be out there with your teammates that you're just you're just stretching it you're just pushing yourself and um, yeah. Insight, experience tells you that that's not the way to do it, is it? You, the older you get, the more you have these, you realize when you can kind of push them, when you have to take it a bit easier.
1: Yeah, I think that's, I think that's paramount what you just said. As you get older, you know your body more and having gone through that tough situation I'll you know, I'll be more delicate with the next one. I'll, I'll be a little bit more cautious. But like you said, when you're in that moment, especially on a run coming off of 2017, like we had winning a trophy and then really, really going for it at, in Champions League in 2018. I mean, we were training in Mexico during the preseason. We had, Stevie, we had altitude tents at home. You should have seen this thing I brought home. My wife was like, <laughs> what the hell is this thing? A big noisy machine next to the bed. I put it on my side of the bed, tent over my head. Oh, uh, she hated me. Uh, but, you know, it just showed the dedication of all of us in that moment that we really went for it as a team.
0: Yeah, the commitment to, to to try and get a victory that was just agonizingly close for you guys. Penalty kick defeat against Chivas Guadalajara and uh, obviously some big moments in that game that, that you probably deserve to win it in, in real time. Um, and then the whole season just came off the rails didn't it he just could not catch a break mm-hmm. as a team either through injuries or through performances no momentum and it tested for me the mentality of that squad and, and it also allowed the public to find out or us guys as media to find out what you guys were all about and would you just fritter away and and sort of head towards mediocrity or or could you come again and in 19, you guys came again. You, you accepted it was a bad year, and you you've picked it up. It was a bit slow at the start, and then something started to happen. Momentum came again, and, uh, and you ended up back at MLS Cup. What was that like? And, and tell us what you think some of the reasons were for, for that success from probably the summer onwards. I think um,
1: 2019, uh, for me, just showed the strength of the club because in preseason, Seba left and, and Vanderbilt left and Victor left um, in preseason. And that's difficult for a lot of teams. A lot of a lot of teams in, uh, to have to deal with big players like that leaving in preseason in January and February to be able to turn it around quick, um, that's not an easy thing to do. Um, these were kind of, I mean, these weren't planned things. These were, uh, you know, Vanderbilt got into it with Greg early in training camp. And, um, that, that came to a steam really early where we knew that he wasn't going to be a part of things. Victor came in 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 early 2019 asking, um, if he could take this opportunity abroad, because it was going to be a really good opportunity and credit to Toronto FC. They let him do that. Um, they worked out a deal that was going to be beneficial for both of them. And then Seba really wanted, um, to work something out for himself as well. And so um at the end of the day, those are three players leaving the club in preseason. And so we're kind of scrambling from that moment. And it just gives it just shows to, to credit the guys that um are still here that have been a part of it the whole um what we've learned in the past and how we can bring that to the to the team right now. What are our best qualities and credit to to Greg. You know his his tactics and his plan really shown through in twenty nineteen to to keep us together as a team, and not only that but to to really bring the best out of us when maybe there were some holes in the roster and still show that a good tactical plan can help you get to the final um and a credit to the to the management staff
0: for for getting us to that point point as well yeah um and that point is. Pretty significant. I think the things you mentioned there were, you know, Seba, Victor left in particular, I think two extremely important players in in the uh, in the history of Toronto F C and, and certainly within that, that squad. And to kinda of show everyone that the the club is bigger than than any one individual, I, I think that was a big yeah. moment for Toronto F C and I think when when the history is chronicled in fifty or a hundred years' time, I think that'll be significant. Where it was the first time that the club, uh, the franchise of Toronto FC, became bigger than than any one individual, and uh, yeah. and 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 you guys dealt with that, and you became a different team. And uh, we could sit here and argue for hours if it was a better team or or, or not as good a team, but it was a successful team. So that yeah. to me is absolutely crucial. So. You're thirty-two, you're still fit as a fiddle. I see you bombing up and down that left hand side <laughs> at Beamle Field every single Saturday, mate. What's left for Justin Morrow? What do you still want to achieve? And um is is Toronto your home? Do you hope to end your career there or would you like to try someone else somewhere else uh, in the, the next uh, not so distant future?
1: Yeah, my my heart is here in Toronto. I've had an incredible time since I've been here. and you know, talking about 2019 and and how we turned it around from 2018 It gives me great hope and great pride that um, when I am done playing at Toronto SD and some of my teammates are done playing at Toronto SD that we will still be a top club and I will be a part of that. Uh, I want to be a part of that even after I'm done playing here. Um, I have immense pride in everything that we've built um, since I've been here. Uh, I felt like I've had a a big hand in in helping turn around this club and I I want this club to stay at the top of MLS and I I want to help them do that
0: off the field as well. Two Cups with the U.S. national team a little bit disappointing that it's it's not more. For me, it should have been more. Is that something that that sits a bit uneasy with you?
1: Yeah, it does because uh, I feel like it's a level which I could have gotten to. Um, I'll say that I didn't Take my opportunities as best as I could. Uh, although I never lost on the national team,
0: that's, that's <laughs> I tied, I, the I, I tied twice.
1: Decent. <laughs> I tied twice and I won twice. So oh, you got four uh, caps. My apologies. Yeah, yeah, I got I got four caps with the gold cup in there, um, and the January camp in in twenty eighteen. Yeah, so, uh, but no, no. To be honest, I I never. T- um, put my best foot forward in the opportunities that I was given um and with the national team it's a short leash you know you know yeah. it, it's it's new players in and out all the time and in the meantime you have to be proving yourself every every weekend and so um I regret it a little bit um it wasn't for lack of effort at yeah. all it just didn't happen on those days and so um looking back that's probably uh, one thing that I wish I could change in my career
0: and uh, when that career is, is done and dusty, I, I can see just tomorrow general manager or just tomorrow <laughs> president of, of some MLS team. Maybe it's Toronto <laughs> FC. Maybe it's MLS itself. Is, is, that in the, is that in the plans? Or would you like to get away from football? Try someone else? Because I know how smart you are, mate. I feel like you could pretty much pick up anything that you, you want uh, when you're done playing. Thanks, Stevie. I always shoot high. Um,
1: like I said, I'm very proud of this team and everything that we have and hope to have going forward. Um, I'm also very proud of, of the league and, and where it's grown, grown to be. And I think that we can go even higher. And I think there's a lot of optimism around the league now, but we have to be smart about the way we go about things. And so um, I will always be here to, to give back to, to soccer. Um, I have my business degree. And so I got my hand in a lot of things and, and my direction isn't so clear when I'm done. but um, I will always be here for the sport. That's for sure.
0: Well, the sport is better for it just tomorrow. And it's been a pleasure to talk to you, mate. We have to, we had a virtual beer tonight or you did. And yeah. I sat here teetotal. but next time we'll <laughs> have a, once this virus can as, leave, as as COVID done, we're, we're going to go have a pint together. Sounds good, mate. Take it easy. And thanks for joining me in, in conversation with Caldwell. All right. Thanks. Stevie. All the best.